the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I want you to know that when you wonder what love looks like, all you have to do is look to Jesus. And when in your life you don't think you can love others the way you need to, you need to look to Jesus. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have ever fully been known. So now faith, hope, and These three, of these, is love. Paul begins this passage with that illustrative phrase, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And it just so happens I have a cymbal here today. I don't know how to play it, so I need some help. Realize this, but uh, my friend Buck is actually a drummer, and so you uh, you know about these kind of things, right? Yeah. In fact, you and I were in Turkey, and we 122 miles to get you a cymbal, and so I, I know that you know about cymbals. So here's what I want you to do: just uh, you can keep a beat, right? Yes. You know we've never danced. I don't know if you can dance, but uh, you can keep a beat. I, I see that every Sunday. So let, I, I just show me how this works. Yeah. Okay, that's perfect. Okay, so I, I want you just to uh, to take a few minutes and just do your thing right there. Okay, I'm, I'm going to keep talking, but you just do your thing, and um, that's good. All right, so here's some things I want you to know. The first thing is this. As I pursue my all of us here spiritual journey, I pursue my spiritual journey. I must never, say never, I must never forget that love is a priority, I cannot ignore. I can't afford to ignore it. And, and Paul illustrates this with this 
crazy suggestion of a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. And as he does this, he says, you can have a lot of other things. You can speak with great impact. You can know things that are greatly important. Or you can do things that are highly influential. But if it's not coming from love, it really doesn't matter. And, and so really what he, he's saying, he specifies. He says, for example, I don't care if you speak with the tongues of men and angels. He said, I don't prophesy. Prophesy. Claim the truth and the power of God so that lives were changed. He said, I don't care if you do that. He said, I don't care if you know so much that you think your faith can move the mountains. I don't even care what you give in the offering plate. You may be the biggest giver in the church. You, you may write the biggest check. You may even come to the place where you say, I'll give my life. But if it's not motivated by love, it's just a bunch of noise. Think about that. Never anywhere else in Scripture do we have it said so clearly. It's not what you say. It's not what you know. It's not what you do. It's all about love. So I've got a question for you. Are you just making noise? Or do you have your priorities in order? Because there's a lot of religious people that just make noise. Everything minus love nothing. Nothing. Don't be content with making when God created you to make a difference. Don't be content with making noise when God created you to make a difference. Hey, everybody give Buck a hand. You did a good job You're giving me a headache. My goodness. Paul was saying, pursue spiritual things and never forget that your priority must be love. But then secondly, he said, as you seek to love God and others like Jesus, remember, love is a particular act that looks a particular way. Now, I'm about to celebrate 25 years of marriage. I've been married a little while. I, I talk to people all the time about marriage. This afternoon, I've got two different premarital counseling appointments. I, I talk to people after challenges in marriages, and I often hear this. Well, that's just not the way I love. Or, or that's not how I show love. Or, or he or she doesn't like the way I express love. And we act as if love is some nebulous, static thing that we can define by our terms. Isn't it interesting that Paul talks about love and its explicit definitions after talking about how different we all are? We are different. Look around. You can see that. You can sense that. We have different gifts. We have different personalities. The body is different, even the body of Christ. But love is consistent, even in the body. Maybe you've heard someone say, well, I love you, but. You begin to recognize, I don't think you understand God's definition of love. Right here in this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, in three verses, we have 15 different Greek verbs that are used to describe love, to tell us what love is. Is Now, some of you have heard this before in church, but 
in the New Testament, the, the language that these words were written in uh, was called Koine Greek. It was the everyday Greek language that most people in that part of the world spoke. And there were three words for love in that Greek language. The first one was the word eros. You might recognize that because we get our word erotic from. And, and frankly, this is the kind of love that most of our pop music and a lot of the movies and, and a lot of what you read in, in secular fiction novels and stuff, that's how they describe love. It's a, a very self-centered, pleasure-seeking, erotic love. Interestingly, just for the record, that word's never used in the New Testament. Now, we're going to talk about some extremely intimate details of the marriage relationship in a few weeks. But even in that context, that word eros is not used. There's another word. It's the word phileo. It is used in the Bible, and it speaks to brotherly love. We get the city's name, Philadelphia, rise, eagle rise, from uh, this word because Philadelphia is a city of what? Brotherly love. So it speaks of this brotherly or this uh, partnership kind of, of loving relationship and so it's like two guys out on the fishing boat that say i love you bro or i love you man and it's just that kind of connection in that way and then there's agape love and the word agape is used most consistently in the new testament it's the word that's used when it we have verses that say things like for god so loved the world our god demonstrates his love in this way Consistently throughout the New Testament and all throughout 1 Corinthians 13, we see that word, agape. And agape speaks of a selfless love, loving not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others. And so that kind of love is clearly defined in 1 Corinthians 13. And so what I thought I'd do is I just want to sit down and have a conversation with you. Because this is uh, maybe hard to hear, but this really isn't hard to understand. So I don't have to preach or teach or explain this to you. I I just want to outline what the Bible says, not what I say, but what the Bible says is the definition of love. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. And so it begins by saying love is, say love is, patient. I'm not going to ask you how many of you are patient because that's something we struggle with. But I want to remind you, patience is something that is also in another list. It's in the list of the fruit of the spirit, right? So when we're walking in a godly way, we are patient. Now, the opposite of patient is what? We're impatient or we can't wait. And so what is described is an active waiting. 
It's not an, an, uh, an idea in which we're indifferent. Patience is not indifferent. I don't know and I don't care. No, it, it's a willing trust that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. You've got to decide if you believe that. That's why I think a, a verse that speaks to this is my favorite Old Testament two verses. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. See, when I'm patient, I, I understand I can trust God to take care of what he's in charge of. I just have to do what I'm supposed to do. Are you patient? Maybe you need to pray for patience. Be careful, because when you do that, maybe God will send some things into your life to help you learn to be patient. But I would just say to you, love is patient. Love is also kind. Again, I love the simplicity of God's truth. You know what it means to be kind. My favorite verse here is Ephesians 4.32. I learned it this way from the King James. Be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. See, when I'm kind, I'm a reflection of the love of God in, in my life. When I'm kind, I, I give others the benefit of the doubt. I, I give them a second chance. When I'm kind, simply put, I, I'm, I'm nice. Some of us would do well just to wake up every morning and say, all right, today, by God's grace, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to recognize that every comment on Facebook is not picking a personal fight with me. And so I don't have to get involved in every political or every social discussion. I'm going to prioritize being nice. I'm going to recognize that when the person in Chick-fil-A in, in front of me uh, orders for apparently 577 people for their workplace, I'm going to take deep calming breaths and I'm going to be nice. I'm going to recognize when that person in, in front of me on Fowler Avenue thinks it's a drag race and they cut me off, I'm not going to give them the one way to Jesus sign. I'm going to be nice because love is kind. Love does not envy. Envy is when I want those things someone else have in a way that it becomes a passion in my life. I only have room for one primary passion. There's a story in the Bible that talks about envy. It's actually a family story. It speaks of a father who gave a big gift to one son and and that son went and he wasted the gift and the son came back kind of with his tail between his legs and and the father welcomed him with open arms. That's a picture of God because that's what God always does when we fall short. And then there was a brother and this other brother was envious. Why does he get the party? Why does he get the favor of dad? Why does he get the big ring? Why does he get the fatted cap? Anybody remember the name of that story? Prodigal son. Yeah, it's a story about envy, really. There's a lot of angles to that story, but you've got God's love and his graciousness, his favor among the one son, but you've got a picture of, of envy. And boy, that does not, nobody reads that account from the story that Jesus told and says, bless God, I want to be like that other son. Why? Because that's not love. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love does not boast. Boasting is bragging without foundation. 
And the truth is, there's no foundation for any bragging in my life. Because I, I want you to hear me say this, but, but please know it's true of you too. Any good thing in your life comes from God. Because the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. So if there's something good about you, if you do your work well, praise the Lord. Don't go bragging about it. If you've made a lot of money, thank you, Jesus. Tithe, but don't go bragging about it. If God has gifted you in some way, recognize you don't have something to boast about. And love is, is not boastful. I heard this this weekend. We had a wonderful time at our men's conference on Friday evening. And my friend, Dr. Hunt, he pointed out that in Scripture, the only positive attribute that Jesus points out about himself is his lowliness, his humility, and his, his meekness. Others say great things about Jesus, how wonderful he was. The writers of the New Testament say wonderful things about Jesus. But the only thing he talks about himself is his humility. And so it's no surprise here. Then the next thing that Paul says is that love is not arrogant. It's not prideful. I love this little poem. It says, he that is down need not fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. C.S. Lewis said that um, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's recognizing that the whole world really does not revolve around you. And so uh, watch that arrogance. Watch that pride. Love is not rude. This is close to what we've already said, right? So not only love is kind, which means love is not rude. I love the truth that we say often in our church. As a Christ follower, you never have the liberty to be unkind. You, you just can't think that way. It's, it's never okay to be a jerk. Now, guess what? Some of us are going to do that. I, I sometimes find myself saying or acting in such a way that I, I think to myself, well, you were just a jerk. If I don't think that myself, sometimes someone points it out. And I, I have to get right and thank God for confession and the ability to be made right with Jesus. But, but don't ever excuse rudeness as being okay. Don't, don't ever think these kinds of attributes are permissible in your faith. Love is not selfish. Some translations say it does not seek its own. Now, this is one of the easiest to understand because God demonstrates the most unselfish act in what we celebrate even this week. Philippians 2 says that Jesus, as God, had nothing more to desire for, but he, 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 in his holiness, took that stairway down from heaven to become one of us. And then he humbled himself, humbled himself, and gave himself to the point of death on the cross. If you are not generous, you are not loving scripturally. One of the misunderstandings about giving is that you have to be rich to be generous. You don't have to be rich to be generous. 
You just have to be loving to be generous because love is not selfish. Love is not irritable. Well, there's another one I sometimes have to confess. But we all know people like this too, that when you come into their presence, you kind of feel like you got to do this, take off your shoes and and tiptoe because you're on eggshells because you feel like you're going to be the one that the next thing you say is going to cause them to explode. And that's not okay. And so I've been that person at times in my life where when something like this earlier in my life would happen, I would just say, that's just the way I am. I got a strong personality. Well, some of that's true. But if I act in an unchristlike way, that means that personality is not submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ in the moment. And so there's some, some very clear things here. Now, this word is interesting because it, it literally is kind of the alternative of self-control, another one of the fruit of the Spirit. Am I living with self-control? So am I not easily provoked? So another side of this is if you walk around and, and your feelings get hurt all the time, hello, you might be easily provoked. If you think everybody's out to get you, you might be easily provoked. It's a sharpened sense of touchiness. Maybe you look at yourself as able to win an argument and you pride yourself in your argumentativeness. That's not okay. You're coming across as irritable. Submit that gifting to the Holy Spirit of God. Because love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Hey, do me a favor. Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt. Somebody said something hurts you or did something hurt you. I think that's everybody. Wow, good job. I'll tell you what you just voted on later. But um, <laughs> it's true, isn't it? We've, we've all had people do things that we say, man, that was rotten. That hurt. And so here's what happens. If we're not careful, we carry that in us. And as we carry that around, we start out like this, but as we go forward, that hurt, that resentment, that bitterness, it begins to weigh us down. My mom, I love her so much. I was a mama's boy growing up, and and my mom is very special. But I've watched in the last 10 years as major back problems in her life have, have caused her posture to look like this. And, and she has to look up to see forward. And um, it hits me that people that are around her see that she's in pain. And they hate it for her. And, and you know, when you let resentment come into your life and you begin to be crippled over like that, make no mistake, the people around you see it. It may be coming through in some of these other areas. You're irritable or you're touchy or you're angry all the time or you're rude. I don't know, but but you've held on to that. I told you a story. There was many years ago, I, I made some choices. I, I just hate it. I deeply regret it. It's sinful. And as a result of that, man, I walked through a, a, tough, a tough time and was, was seeking some healing and some help and some hope. But in the midst of that, I had some church people be really unkind to me. You ever had church people be unkind to you? I know that's shocking. It happens. It happens at least once. 
But I held on to that. And I, I became resentful. And I was sitting on the back seat of a church in a pew um, one night in a men's gathering. And I heard my dear friend teaching men that evening. And he said these words. He said, men, I want you to know that bitterness is the only poison that you drink and you wait for somebody else to die. And I'm just telling you guys, that's changed my life. It changed my life in the instant because I realized it was as if the Holy Spirit of God was speaking to me. I let it go and I haven't looked back. But let me tell you what else I did. I began to pray, God, give me a short memory of offense. And maybe God would say to you, you you need to let this go. It's crippling you. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.